I love to watch football. And one of my favorite things to happen in a football game is when they're lined up at the line of scrimmage and the quarterback steps up and they've got a play called and he looks at the defense and he realizes the defense is not lined up the way he wants it to be. So he calls an audible. And then everybody on the offense switches and they change up and they line up in a different uh, formation. And then oftentimes what will happen is the defense will see that and not like it. And the other coach will call a timeout and then it just shuffles everything up. Uh, well, I'm calling an audible this morning. Uh, actually, God called it audible last night. I had the privilege of performing a wedding over the weekend. So I spent Friday night and last night uh, with this couple and their family and friends and had a really, really good time. And I was already going to be talking somewhat about the topic this morning about Jesus returning. That's already where I was going with the sermon. But as I stood there for a few hours last night just watching, uh, sometimes you have to allow for the Holy Spirit to move. Uh, even when you prepare sermons, sometimes the Holy Spirit says, hey, I want you to go somewhere else. And that's kind of what happened as I stood there last night watching this very young couple celebrating, their friends and family all gathered together, and it was an enjoyable time. But as I stood there and watched, I was kind of on the perimeter just watching things, and I got to thinking about when Robin and I got married. We were younger than this couple is when we got married, and I can remember thinking how we thought we had forever. We had our whole lifetime to live and plan and do things, and as I watched Darren and Jordan, thinking about the future, the life that they were beginning, I couldn't help but think how I felt the day I got married. And here I am now, 31 years later, just like that. Uh, there's a phrase up there, it's actually four letters, and it's not as popular as it once was, but several years ago, this was a very popular saying, YOLO, you only live once. And if you were on social media, a few years ago, it's, it's not as cool and hip as it probably was at one point, but I've never been particularly cool or hip. But you only live once, and oftentimes you would see people post pictures of them doing outlandish things, uh, bungee jumping or jumping out of an airplane, and they would put YOLO, you only live once, or they bought a particularly impressive vehicle or house, and YOLO, you only live once. And there are all sorts of phrases that have come through our culture that is one of the most recent, uh, one of the most popular and long-lasting marketing campaigns ever was Nike. And they still use this phrase, just do it. Uh, many years ago, Robin Williams was in a very famous movie called Dead Poet Society. And he popularized the Latin term, carpe diem. And in the movie, they said it meant seize the day. What it really means is pluck the day while it's ripe. And there are all different variations on these types of phrases live it up, just do it, go for it, if it makes you happy. And all of them are rooted in the fact that you, you need to get everything you can out of life, get the most you can out of life. Not necessarily forgetting the future, but to live for yourself, to live for earthly pleasures. And like I said, this phrase has been recycled. It's been phrased in different ways, but the idea is that you have your whole life, enjoy it, get the most out of it while you can. Now, I do believe that YOLO is a true statement. You only live once. But I think we can get a different message from that than what the world would tell us. We were only given one lifetime to live in this world. 
And while we do need to make the most of it, we do need to realize that we're not promised tomorrow. And we need to be productive. It doesn't mean we don't plan for the future. I believe God wants us to do that. But we need to understand that we are not promised tomorrow. And some of those thoughts kind of came into my head while I was watching all of these folks celebrating. And, and before I go any further, everything I say this morning is not coming from a place of judgment. I don't want anyone to think that I'm looking at people and judging them. If anything, it's coming from a place of gratitude because I have had that attitude myself. I have lived for the moment and done things simply for myself without thinking about eternal consequences. So this is more a message of gratitude that we have the grace and mercy of God regardless of where we were. And I had about 30 minutes to drive home just processing everything and I, could, I, I felt like God was saying, this is where I want you to go with this. And just about 12 hours ago as I finally got home and I was watching the end of a football game, interestingly enough, our radio went off and we got a call to go out just up the road a little ways and a couple of teenagers had rolled their car through a field several times. They were banged up, but fortunately they survived and they're alive this morning. And that just reiterated what was going through my mind. We're not promised tomorrow. Those young folks are very, very fortunate this morning. I believe God was looking upon them. They could have been easily killed. And they're banged up and they're hurt this morning. They're going to be sore, but they've got one more day. But it just hammered home the fact that we're not promised tomorrow. We're not promised the end of this service this morning. Truly, you only live once. And what matters is how you live while you are here. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus is talking about His second coming. He's talking about when He returns to claim the earth as His kingdom. And in Matthew 24, beginning in verse 36, He says, Now concerning that day and hour, and He's talking about His imminent return, no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, except the Father alone. As the days of Noah were, so the coming of the Son of Man will be. And this is the thought that was going through my head last night. I was at a wedding watching people celebrate and having a good time. It says, For in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the very day Noah boarded the ark. They didn't know until the flood came and swept them all away. This is the way the coming of the Son of Man will be. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding grain with a handmill, one will be taken and one left. Therefore, be alert since you don't know what day your Lord is coming. But know this, if the homeowner had known what time the thief was coming, he would have stayed alert and not let his house be broken into. This is why you are also to be ready because the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. We don't know the day. Sometimes I believe, and I'm speaking for myself first and foremost, we take things for granted. I'm 52 years old and I just take for granted I'm going to live another year. I'm going to see my children and my grandson get older. I'm going to celebrate another year being married to Robin. I'll spend another year 
being your preacher. But the truth is, is I'm not promised any of those things. None of us are promised any of the things that we sometimes look forward to. Sometimes the things we take for granted. Think about all the people that you know personally, people in your lives, people in your families, that just in the two years since I've been here, think about the funerals that we have had. And not all of them were very old. Some of them, relatively speaking, were young. As I stood there last night on the perimeter watching, and I admit I had a good time watching people be silly. I wasn't out there being silly, but we, we stood around and had a good laugh watching people be silly and enjoying life. And I doubt very many people outside of myself were thinking about Jesus coming back right then. They were having a good time. They were thinking about tomorrow. Darren and Jordan were thinking about their life together. And the truth was, is as I stood in a field at one o'clock this morning looking at a car and wondering how in the world they got out alive, it hammered home the fact that we're not promised anything. We do need to live our lives to the fullest while we are here, but we need to ask ourselves, what are we living for? There are just some things in this life that aren't worth living for. It's a struggle that I've struggled with my entire life. It's a struggle I still struggle with. And if we're honest, every single one of us in this room struggle with making the most of the days that we have been given. Now, I don't believe that being entertained is wrong. I like to watch sports. I like to watch movies and listen to music. In fact, we were singing some songs last night, having fun. Entertainment's not wrong, but if that's what you live your entire life for, to be entertained, if you live your entire life just to consume the things around you, we do well to read some of the words that King Solomon wrote in the book of Ecclesiastes. Although he was later in his life and he was kind of regretting some of the choices he made, and he said, I pursued everything in this world. I achieved everything there was to achieve. And at the end of his life, after he had kind of strayed from God's will, he realized that if you live your entire life with that mentality, just do it, YOLO. And even if you achieve and get everything you ever wanted at the end of your life, that's all you live for. What did King Solomon say? It's absolutely meaningless. It's not worth it. When you die, you're not taking it with you. It's like that famous song says, I've never seen a U-Haul behind a hearse. And one day we're going to stand before Almighty God and we'll have to give an account for the way we lived our lives. And it's interesting how much our culture weighs the two concepts. There's this idea of just do it, live for the now. Have all the fun you can while you're here. But then you also are reminded that we don't have a lot of time. I was thinking about some of the old soap operas that used to come on. There was one called One Life to Live. You remember the opening to Days of Our Lives? Like sands in the hourglass. These are the days of our lives. Being a music rock and roll kind of guy, I immediately thought of the Kansas song. All we are is dust in the wind. And it's true. 
Scripture reminds us that we're here today and we're gone tomorrow. And while there is a certain aspect of YOLO, we only live once that we need to embrace. If we're living for anything other than Jesus Christ, we're wasting our life. If we're pursuing anything other than the kingdom of God, then we're really not living it up. We're really not seizing the day. The second passage I want us to look at this morning is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, if you want to turn to that. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And this is the Apostle Paul writing to the church there at Thessalonica. And once again, he's talking about the return of Jesus. He's reminding them that Jesus is going to come back, as you said in your meditation this morning. He is going to come back. We don't know when it's going to be. We don't want to be taken off guard. We want to be prepared. We want to be ready. And the Apostle Paul writes this beginning in verse 1 of chapter 5, 1 Thessalonians. About the times and the seasons, brothers and sisters, you do not need anything to be written to you. Like Jesus Himself said, no one knows, only the Father. Paul says, we're not going to discuss that. Now, I admit end time stuff is interesting to me to watch people give all these theories and their interpretations. But the truth is, Jesus says it doesn't really matter because we can't figure it out. We can't know it. The Apostle Paul says, I'm not even going to deal with that. It's not even worth writing about. Just understand Jesus is coming. He says, For you yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. When they say peace and security then sudden destruction will come upon them like labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in the dark. For this day, to surprise you like a thief, you're all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or the darkness. So then, let us not sleep like the rest, but let us stay awake and be self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled and put on the armor of faith and love and a helmet of the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us, so that whatever, whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with Him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up as you are already doing. One of the key words you hear a lot these days is being woke. And it has a lot of different connotations. Typically, it's a political thing. It's a cultural thing. If you're woke, you're politically correct. You're saying the right things and doing the right things. And oftentimes it's in direct opposition to the truth. It's in direct opposition to what Scripture says. I heard a a well-intentioned youth minister take this passage and try to say, we need to be woke people, and I don't think that's very good terminology given the baggage around that word. But what we do need to be is awake. The Apostle Paul, when you read through his letters... He's often encouraging Christians. Remember, these letters are written to believers, and he reminds them of all the things that they once did. He talks to the Corinthians about 
sinful, despicable acts. And he's like, you used to do these things. He's talking to the Thessalonians here. He said, you once were children of the night, but now you are children of the light. And let's live that way. The Apostle Paul called himself the chief of all sinners. And as I said just a moment ago, my words this morning do not come from a place of judgment. Because sometimes I look in the mirror and I feel like Paul. I'm the worst there is out there. Can't believe I've said and done and thought some of the things that I have said and done and thought. Unless you believe that the preacher is perfect and figured it all out, I still have moments where I stand in the mirror and go, I can't believe you thought that. I can't believe you said that. I can't believe you did that. Like I said, I speak this morning from a place of gratitude. I don't know about you, but I'm extremely thankful that Jesus Christ died for me. I'm extremely thankful that God looked down and saw me. And in spite of all the dumb things I did, in spite of all the sinful things I did, even intentionally, in spite of the fact that I was dead in His eyes, an enemy, he looked at me and he loved me. And he saw me for who he made me to be. And when Jesus died and he, he was hanging there before he breathed his last breath and he looked out and said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I was one of them. And you were one of them as well. Now the truth is, is we all slip up. We all make mistakes. Even the preacher, I hope that doesn't shock you or surprise you. But every single one of us in here mess up sometimes, don't we? So I'm thankful that I have God's grace and I have God's mercy. And I'm doing the very best I can through the power of His Spirit to realize that I only live once. And while it's okay to sit down and watch a ball game or listen to music or watch a movie or read a book, I don't want to let entertainment, I don't want to let the things of this world consume me and be what I live for. And as odd as it may sound, I don't want Robin to be the one that I live for or my children or my grandchildren to be the one that I live for if it means putting Christ second. Because I firmly believe, and I'm learning it as I get older, and I'm experiencing it more as I get older. If I put Jesus first, then my marriage is going to be much, much better than I could ever make it myself. If I put Jesus first, my relationship with my children, while not perfect, and while still strained sometimes, are going to be better than they would be if I tried to fix it myself. If I put Jesus first, I can serve this congregation much better than if I tried to figure out how to do it by myself. I want to reiterate what Paul says here to the Thessalonians. You, brothers and sisters, are not in the dark. Not any longer. This day, Jesus' return, it shouldn't surprise you like a thief, for you are all children of light and children of the day. We don't belong to the night and the darkness or the deeds of darkness. So then let us not sleep 
And he's not talking about physical sleep. He's not even talking about death. He's talking about people walking through this world just oblivious to the fact that eternity is waiting, blinded by this world. Let us stay awake and self-controlled. Let us put on the armor of faith and love and helmet of the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with Him. One of the things that amazed me the first time I read it and understood it in the book of Revelation is talking about eternal life. And it talks about the lake of fire. And when you read about heaven and hell all throughout Scripture, when you go back to what Jesus said about it, one of the things that amazed me is when it talks about the lake of fire, hell, eternal death, it says, that wasn't prepared for us. I don't know if you've ever read that. I don't know if that's kind of flown under your radar. Because a lot of people have this idea that God is this mean, angry God and He's ready to send you to hell. But hell was not created for us. It was never God's intent for a single one of us to face that. That was for Satan and those that rebelled. God's will was always for humanity, the apple of His eye, to live with Him for all eternity. But the truth is, and a lot of people don't want to hear it, the truth is, is He will let you choose to go there. We're not puppets. We have free will. But God showed you how much He loved you. He showed you what He wanted for you by sending Jesus to die for you. If that doesn't convince you, I don't know what will. So Jesus died for us. And I think we all in here agree that Jesus died for us. Even when we were sinners, even when we were lost, He died for us. Shouldn't we live for Him? The Apostle Paul also, writing to the church in Rome, in chapter 12 says, live your lives as living sacrifices, giving everything to Jesus. He says, let your mind be transformed. Don't conform to the patterns of this world. Paul very well could have been saying, hey guys, you only live once. Choose wisely when you choose what to live for. Hebrews chapter 9, and this is how we're going to close here. Hebrews chapter 9, beginning in verse 27. And this is the gospel. This applies to everyone that has ever been born, whoever will be born, everyone who is alive right now. And just as it is appointed for people to die once, and unless you're alive when Jesus returns, you're going to die. The older I get, the more I realize my mortality. I'm 52. Neither one of my dad's parents made it out of their 50s. My mom's brother didn't make it to 52. I'm very well aware that I'm not promised tomorrow. That unless Jesus comes back, that at some point I'm not going to be here anymore. And that applies to all of us. All people are going to die once, but then after that, judgment. So also in Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting 
for him. When Christ returns, there's only one thing that's going to matter. How did you live your life? Who did you live your life for? And it's not a matter of taking out your scorecard and see how, how much good you did and how much bad you did and weighing those. The only choice that's going to matter, the only thing that you do here in this life that's going to matter is whether or not you made Jesus your Lord and Savior and you put your faith and trust in Him and you walk with the Spirit. We only live once. Here today, gone tomorrow. That's what they say, right? This morning, I don't know where each and every one of you are. I'm going to make an assumption. I think it's a safe assumption that the majority of us in here have made that decision. But I can't see your heart. Only God can. And I feel like I would be making a mistake this morning if we close and I don't offer you an opportunity to make the most important decision you can make. To choose to live for Jesus. So this morning as we stand and sing this final song, if you've never done what Peter preached there on the day of Pentecost, if you've never repented, changed the way you think, if you've never confessed that you are a sinner, if you've never professed Jesus as your Lord and Savior before others, and you've never been baptized, we invite you to come forward this morning and do so as we stand and sing. Hymn number 60 is my name written there.